0: Guys, and welcome to another episode of the Encore Podcast. Chris McCoy here, along with Gab. Hey, Gab, did you do anything interesting this past weekend, by any chance?
1: I sure did do something this interesting this past weekend. I was at your old stomping ground. Oh, mm, yes.
0: You were in California.
1: I was in California. I was going to say you have had many stomping grounds, so I guess I needed to be a little bit more specific than that. <laughs> Um, Yes, I was out in California. I flew into San Francisco about midweek and I got back on Sunday. I went out to visit my dad and a couple of friends that we have that live out there. And I made sure that I stopped at one of the best parts about going out there, which was wine country.
0: Yes. And you know, actually we talked about you going out there probably about a month ago and we thought the two of us kind of put our heads together and the creative juices started flowing. And we said, you know, since Gab is going to be out in Napa, why don't we do a wine episode? So it sounded like a good idea then. And uh, I think it's a good idea right now. You guys up for a little vino?
1: I we know can't why- hear them, but I think that the answer would be yes. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I can almost hear them. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't like wine? No, I know that there are people who do not like wine. I understand that. But maybe it's because you really haven't ever really had a good wine. It seems like when we're young, our taste in wine kind of navigates toward the uh, syrupy, sweet stuff, which is fine. You know, it's a kind of a good introduction to wine, I guess. But as you get older and your taste buds mature and your wallet becomes fatter, you may (laughs) not to mention your waistline. Uh, You may. I'm speaking strictly for myself, (laughs) Gabby. You may want to try some something that you know. maybe a friend who knows a little bit about the stuff could suggest to you. And we have two friends like that, don't we, Gap?
1: We do. And I was just thinking that we could sit here and speculate or talk about our times that we've gone to wine tastings as if it was our own knowledge that we learned from there. But I think maybe instead we should just ask our questions to a couple of experts.
0: Amen. I'm all for that. Look, before we get started, I'm going to go down and grab a beer. So, up. Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> not for this podcast.
0: <laughs> no, no, no beer here tonight. It's all wine. By the way, did you have anything really good that you can recommend while you were in Napa over the weekend?
1: We were on Napa. We were, were fortunate enough to get to three different wineries. It was cake bread, Sequoia Grove and Verosa. And I would recommend all three of them. Verosa what was interesting about that one was it was a smaller wine. So we were the only ones there for the wine tasting, which was super cool. Cause that's not something that we normally have. Usually we're in a, a crowd of people, which is also, you know, a lot of fun to be around other people that are having a nice time. And then we kind of got that more traditional experience at Cake Bread and Sequoia Grove. So if you're going out to the Napa area, I would definitely recommend any of those three. All their wines were fabulous. When we were at Sequoia Grove. I know that they had some very delicious reds, really light, which is not something you usually get from a red. I won't get too far into it because I want to make sure that our experts are the ones that explain it. And so I don't sound silly, but really, and maybe you can agree with this since you've been out there, but I feel like you really can't go wrong with the Napa Valley wine.
0: Amen. I believe. And Sonoma. Sonoma's a. Oh, yes, of course. There, there are so many wine regions that are less known out there in Northern California. And maybe someday we should do a feature on that in itself. Cause I know a couple of people out there that are particular about their wine regions. And they kind of like say, yeah, Napa and Sonoma, they're great, but everybody goes there. You got to go here, check this out. You're going to love this. So maybe we'll do that at some point too. So the last thing I'll say about that is there is nothing like a wine tasting, but it's even extra special when you're doing it in Northern California in one of the great wine regions of the world, so I'm a little bit jealous that you got to do this this past weekend. I certainly missed doing that, uh, being back here on the East Coast.
1: Oh, well, um, I feel like now you have to go out, and then we can do another episode on it.
0: Yeah, and well, I can be yeah, jealous I, of you. We'll we'll take the podcast out there, and and yeah, <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> Definitely
1: road trip, live <laughs> show in Napa.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's take a break and let's. Pop a cork or two, and we'll get into our wine episode here on the Encore Podcast. Sorry, did I get something on you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is, I think, one of, no, I don't think this is my favorite segment of the weekly podcast here that is known as the Encore Podcast. And it's when we get to interview interesting people today we not only have a couple of interesting gentlemen with us but they're going to be talking about something that's very near and dear to our hearts right gabby the nectar of the gods that is wine we're going to be talking wine today with these two guys would you uh, do the honors of the introductions
1: absolutely um so today to chat wine with us we have doug jones from the prestige wine imports and billy bruno from co-brands welcome to the show guys.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. So before we get started with, you know, talking about specific things about wine, Bill, why don't you tell us and then Doug exactly what you do for your company?
2: So I'm a district manager. So basically it means I'm on the streets all the time seeing accounts, whether it be retail, on-premise, executing staff trainings, doing wine tastings, doing wine dinners, selling events. Making presentations to different distributors during meetings, pretty much a jack of all trades.
0: Sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the, the worst
2: part <laughs> is I get to try the wine a lot, which, <laughs> you know, it. <laughs> it's like I was telling before, it's a quality control day <laughs> and we're trying the wines out.
0: <laughs> Someone's got to do it, Bill. <laughs> exactly. Doug, how about you?
3: So I, I work for a company called um, Prestige Wine Imports. And our job, we, we pretty much import wines from Italy, from the top of Italy, all the way down to Sicily and everything in between. And my job is kind of the same as Bill's. I'm a state manager. I have the whole entire state, and I basically have on and off premise responsibilities like he does. But it's our job to basically to educate the sales force and make sure that they take our knowledge and they, they make use of it in the field. Just like Bill, we do staff trainings, wine tastings, Zoom meetings, um, you know, and our job is basically to promote our wines and make sure that they get sold and represented in the right fashion.
1: I guess the initial question right off the bat is what is your favorite wine? Or do you have a favorite wine? Or are they like children? You can't really pick between them. Do <laughs> you who have a favorite?
2: Uh, for me, it's what I'm eating. So <laughs> if I'm eating something, it's going to dictate what type of wine that I'm going to enjoy. With. But the whole idea of wine and food together is what it's all about. So there's wines that you could just sit back out on the porch and enjoy. There's quite a few to choose from for that, but there's also wines that go well with food. And so for me, it just really depends on the food. It's a hard question to answer, but you know, if I'm eating something specific, I'll be able to tell you which one I'm drinking.
0: You don't have like a go-to bill like when you're just let's say you're sitting out back in the patio in a summer evening and all right, maybe you maybe you're eating or maybe you're not. Let's say you're not eating. Is there just something you'd like to have a sip of that you go, you find yourself going back to again and again?
2: Yeah. I mean, I always like the undoped wines because they're very crisp, vibrant. And when you're just sitting back and relaxing, they're always a go-to wine. So cake bread, Sablanc is one of my favorites. That is just one that's just so enjoyable. It goes with most foods and it's refreshing. I also like New Zealand wine. So I drink Graggy uh, Graggy range as well from Martinborough region. Uh, which is really nice, high-structured, high-acid, off-dry-style white that, especially during the summertime, is beautiful. Then, of course, I also do, like, Axe Rosé, which is one of our wines from Provence, which is a blend of Grenache, Syrah, and Cinso. That wine, though, is just very refreshing, hot summer day. there's doesn't get any better than that. And then, of course, there's a lot of reds that I like to drink, too. Pinot Noir is kind of ones that I try to stay more in line with because it's versatile. So you can have it with lighter foods and heavier foods. So it's it's really depends. Oregon Pinot Noir Resonance is one of my favorites. comes from the Willamette Valley and stepped in color. It's also got really big character to it for Pinot Noir. And it kind of goes with everything.
0: Are you a, a strict red wine with meat, white wine with chicken and fish guy?
2: Not so much. I mean, for, for me, it depends. If it's a red meat, then yes, but it's also the sauce too. So if you do a Cabernet with meat, a red meat, like a steak filet mignon, things like that, you can't really go wrong with that because they really do pair well together. You can even do like with a uh, with seafood, if it has a spicy sauce to it, you don't typically have to go with a white wine because spicy sauce and some of the white wines have high acids and they sometimes don't react really well. And if you go an off dry white wine, that may be a better pairing for it, or you can even go Pinot Noir, which is really nice. Like with a salmon, things like that.
0: Lately, you know, I've heard that those kinds of rules are out the window, but I tend to agree with you, Bill. I think that there are just some wines that you don't want to have with a good filet. And there are some wines that you don't want to have with a good filet of fish. You know, you, there has to be a mutual respect, if that makes any sense, between the liquid and the solid.
2: I love doing wine dinners because not only do you get people to go outside their box, their comfort zone. And I always hear when I go tableside to talk to them about their experience with the wine and that course that came out. The first thing that comes to mind is like, I really hate white wine but I really like this wine with this dish. And so doing these wine dinners are really like an eye opener to see how closed people are and how they just you know kind of zoom into that's the wine I want. That's the great, that's uh, what I'm going to enjoy with whatever they're eating. And so it really gets them to, you know, try different things and then you kind of get an eye opener for the most part.
0: Doug, Doug Jones. <laughs> how about you? Same
3: question. Much to what Billy said, I agree, you know, and and it's also the time of the year with with summertime, you you tend to want to drink a little lighter, like I'll be drinking a lot more Pinot Noirs, the wintertime Cabernets, Chiantes and my Amarones. But it's all about the food. And Billy, Billy summed it up best. I mean, we're lucky enough to do a lot of these wine dinners. And, you know, you'll start with a Caesar salad, let's just say, and most people might not like Pinot Grigio but our Mezzocorona Pinot Grigio is outstanding and it pairs perfectly. It's one of the best, you know, pairings that you can have with that type of food. With the, our, our wines are all Italian. So, you know, as, as you start doing Rack of Lamb and you marry it, you know, with a Chianté, it's awesome. It's nice uh, that we, we get to do these things. And like I said, depending on the time of the year you know, my, my taste buds change, you know, with, with the season. I Sometimes it's hard to sit out on a 100 degree day with a, with a Cabernet or a heavy bodied wine, but we still do it, <laughs> you know. With I mean, pride. So
1: I'm lucky enough that I'm actually related to Doug, which I don't think that I mentioned in his initial intro. I would say that my palate for wine, taste for wine, has really been developed under a, a pro's hand, shall we say. If I was someone that was brand new to wine and wanted to start out what would either one of you recommend as far as getting into drinking wine and then like sort of progressing from there?
3: Yeah, much like what I did with you. I mean, we start out with the entry level wines, the Pinot Grigios, the Moscatos, lighter bodied wines. You develop a palate as time goes by and you'll you'll start with you want to do the reds with like a Pinot Noir, something light. And then, you know, you you can't just go to a cab because it's going to be very offensive it takes time to develop that palate. And again, you know, even for a Chianti, you know, it's a special taste that you acquire along the way. And even an Amarone, you have to have that appreciancy, uh, I guess you could say, of, of how it's made and, and everything that goes into it. And then most importantly, how it pairs with the food, as Billy would say. It's a it's a food wine with a lot of acid and a lot of time. It takes time to progress your palate to that level.
0: I started off with Boone's Farm, Blueberry Hill. <laughs> and from there, I went to Blue Nun. Now, this is back in the early 70s. I don't even know if they make that swill anymore.
3: They, <laughs> do. they do. They do. <laughs> All
0: right. I, I apologize. <laughs> It was the wine of my youth, gentlemen, I, from what I can yeah. remember anyway.
1: I know what Boone's Farm is.
0: <laughs> I won't tell your mom and dad about that.
1: because I didn't say what, I drank Boone's Farm. I just know what it is. Now,
0: what do you think, Bill? Do you agree with Doug's uh, assessment?
2: Kind of hit it right on the dot with everything. The The thing is, though, you have to try different things. So it's always good trying the lighter wines because they don't have as much structure. And some of those structures could be a little offensive to somebody who hasn't drank that so much. But I think it's also the quality of wine, too, because I have a recent experience, which is actually kind of fun timing with this uh, with this broadcast. It was Friday and I got done a little early and I had maybe a little bit of the wine left and it's going into the weekend. So you're really not doing much with it. So my um, my neighbor was meeting with his uh, daughter and I was meeting with my daughter to get the bus. And I was like, hey, before we go to the bus stop, do you want to try some really good wine? And he, the first thing he says, is like, Bill, I don't drink wine He goes, I actually don't like it. And I was like, well. I have only two less than two glasses left out of this bottle and I'm going to go to waste anyway. So why don't you try it? And he was like, wow, this is really good wine. And so he would never have thought twice of drinking the wine until I just basically said, just try it. If you don't like it, I'll dump it. And uh, he tried it and he's just not accustomed to drinking wines that are made really well. And so it kind of shows you, like, it's always good to start off with the lighter wines because they don't tack you as bad, so to speak, if you're not used to that taste. But uh, you also have a really well-made wine, and I'm walking him through the tasting notes, and he's like, yeah, I do get that. Yeah, and I do get that. And it was just, you know, he's like, next time you have a bottle like this open, let me know. (laughs) So, and his first thing was, I hate wine.
0: Bill, you've created a monster. Yeah, I know. (laughs) One of the questions I have for either one of you guys, whoever wants to take this one, you know, when it comes to whites, particularly uh, Chardonnay, I prefer a nice oaky Chardonnay, but I know that there are a lot of winemakers who will not use oak in their Chardonnays or even the lighter whites. But there is something that for me, at least anyway, that the oak imparts to it that just for me is just absolutely delicious in most cases. I also like that buttery, oaky Chardonnay. Please don't tell me this is a holdover from my Boone's Farm days, that my palate is not sophisticated enough.
2: Uh, I mean, it's about the style of wine. So the winemaker has an expression he's looking for. So there's no real wine I would say that is not good. It's the style the wine is made in. So if a winemaker wants to put some oak to it, it really depends on if the wine is going to be balanced or not. So if you have a lot of abundance of fruit and you do kind of a light to medium char to it, meaning charring the barrels where it basically opens up the barrels, So you're going to get more of an influence into the wine. You know, that's a good thing. But if you have a very light style wine and you do a medium to heavy toast, it's going to be completely unbalanced. And then you're going to have that big vanilla kind of in your face, kicking the not a good Balance and way of making wine, but people like that style, so it's it's going to be a wine that people are going to like because people do like that. But it's not a um, balanced wine, and the same thing with butteriness. It comes from a process called malolactic fermentation, and basically, it's the same process that milk goes through. When you're taking out the acid of the wine with that process, you're softening it up and you're giving that the buttery style to it. So, if you have a wine that has very Cool climate and you get a lot of acid in the wine. You definitely want to put a little malolactic to it, just because you need to soften it up, or it's going to be too acidic. It's the it's the winemaker's duty to try and make the best style wine and also be balanced. And so that's why when you're adding those two different processes in there, that's where you're going to get whether the wine's going to be you know to your liking or not.
0: Doug, I, I don't know. Since you deal mostly with Italian wines, uh, is there? A, I, I wouldn't think there's a lot of oak uh, in the in the preparation going into the wines that you handle, right?
3: Our wines from Northern Italy, for the most part. So we're up in the Dolomite, which is all the way up at the top of Italy. You know, we we do not use uh, any oak. You know, they're they're all on oak.
0: Now, I have to admit, I go for wines that are drinkable right away. I don't have a wine cellar. I don't even have a wine fridge in my house. If I go out and buy three bottles of wine on a Friday night, by Sunday, they're gone. Um, I don't have to worry about putting them up and keeping them properly. So I'm a guy who likes to spend probably no more than $20, $25 on a bottle of wine. And if I can get a bottle that I like for $15 I'm very happy. It's been a long time since I've had a bottle of your wine, Doug, I have to say. Uh, but <laughs> well, you're
3: more than welcome. <laughs> but there's there, always an abundant supply. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there is, there is there's one particular red blend that I like where they advertise it. They're not shy about it. They age this wine in casks that they used for bourbon. I don't know. There's something about, again, that sort of like the oakiness for the white wine. I like what the bourbon cask. Imparts to the wine, even though it doesn't taste like I'm drinking a glass of half wine and half bourbon. There is just something about it. Either of you guys like that style?
3: With with the bourbon barrels, basically, what you're talking about gives it a sweeter finish. That's one of the things, and and it's more to the American palate again. So it became very, very popular, and a lot of winemakers started doing that. I guess, what would you say, about three years ago, Bill, it became a popular fad with with the bourbon cast?
2: Yeah, about three years ago.
3: And the thing is, you know, it's a copycat industry. So once something becomes popular, everybody jumps on it. And, you know, you you see quite a bit of it out there now. So it does have a following and it's also because of the american palate. We we do like sweeter things and it and it's sweeter on the finish, you know, than a traditional oak barrel.
0: I guess um the, the some of the finer wines will never touch a bourbon oak cask. Am I right about that?
1: That would be correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: I think I gave myself away, okay? <laughs> you know where my taste is these days.
1: I know that you mentioned that Americans tend to prefer things that are more sweet, but what is a noticeable difference, would you say, between something that's sort of changed for the American palette that might not necessarily be changed for a different country or region's palette?
3: We have like old world style and new world style. So they're totally different. You know, we're we're a new world style country for the most part. You know, you go to Italy and France, they do things old school. And their palates are totally different than ours. A lot of the winemakers change depending on what they're trying to their audience. Basically, if you're going to the American audience, you know, you, you do start tend to sweeten some things up and change some of the, uh, the nuances of the wine, as opposed to when you when you go to Italy and you drink a Chianti, totally different feel than some of the traditional American wines.
0: Is there an up and coming wine region somewhere on the globe? these days that maybe the average person doesn't know about
2: yet? I think most of them are knowing about it sooner than later, because I think 60 Minutes did an expo on it like two months ago. Hmm. So as you know, with global warning, um, there's been a lot of regions that have been affected by it, uh, most specifically France. You know, when you're looking at a lot of those regions of France, like uh, Champagne, you can't grow any more grapes in Champagne their yields are getting lower and lower. So they're, they're not making as many bottles basically because you have low yields. There's not a lot of juice. Right now, because of global warming, uh, we have some plantings going on in England. So you're actually going to see some sparkling wine because it's not from champagne, but it's going to be, you know, there's three traditional grapes that they use. Most likely it's just going to be two that you'll find out there, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Um, because it's getting warmer out there, you're actually going to see some sparkling wine coming out of England. It's pretty remarkable. Ooh, it yeah, everything's changing. <laughs> but that's one of the regions that I know to look out for.
0: Gab, do you have a favorite uh, wine? You know, I'm a big uh, Aussie guy. I love the Australian wines for the most part. How about you?
1: I find myself sort of falling in a a pattern of like rosés and whites during the summer and then, you know, reds in the fall and the winter. Um, So hopefully I've made proud Uncle Dog as far as
0: that goes. What would you say was the most expensive or let's say the wine with the biggest reputation that disappointed you when you first had it? Has that happened for you? I mean, I know that you guys get to drink a lot of fine wine because of what you do. Have you ever been surprised in a bad way? (laughs) And you don't have to necessarily name names, I guess, if you don't want to.
3: I was out with a group of people, but what happened was the person was so excited. Uh, this wine was, should have been fantastic. And what happened was it was probably about 35 years old, wasn't stored properly. And when he opened it, it was oxidized and it was very, very disappointed. And it was an expensive bottle. Let's just say three, $400 bottle. Oh. And this poor. so it's, it's very hard for somebody in our position, as Billy can attest, You never want to insult anybody or offend anybody. So we, you know, we drank it. I knew it was off, you know, and I felt bad because it's a shame. That's one of the problems that I see. Much of what you talked about earlier, you buy the wine, you drink the wine. You know, I watch so many people who store it and they don't store it properly in a cool climate, lay it down. And then when they open it, they're very disappointed. And that's the biggest thing I see, you know, that really upsets you. You know when you see a, you know like a bottle. Let's just say it's a penfold or a thousand dollar bottle of Grange, and it wasn't stored properly. You know you just want to cry because you know how good it is. You know and your expectations are through the roof, but you got to hold back, and and that's a very hard thing to do sometimes, but. Billy and I can attest, you know, he's been in that situation before too, where, you know, you, you never want to offend anybody. You know, that's one thing we don't do. You keep it to yourself, you know, you, you drink it and you move forward. But that's the biggest problem that I see, you know, that I, that I've been encountered with, you know, it really makes for a tough night.
2: Yeah. If you can, if you, if you have something special, you want to store it in a temperature, 55 degrees, you, want, you don't want it in direct sunlight. That's the best kind of advice I could give you. So if you're buying a bottle of wine, do those two things and make sure it's laid down on that side and you're good to go.
0: How about if I walk into the the wine store, the liquor store down the street, let's say it is just like a mom and pop organization. And let's say I wanted to buy a bottle of really good fine wine. If I wanted to spend over a hundred bucks on a bottle of wine for a special occasion, how do I know that it's been stored properly? I mean, it's been shipped. In the summertime, do they ship wine properly? Does it sit in the back of a semi for a couple of days and hundred fifty degree temperatures inside? And then once they get it in the store, you know you've got the air conditioning running during the day. When that goes off, when the store closes, the temps go up to God knows what. To me, it's a, it seems like a crapshoot. Am, am am I right about
2: that? And that's why a lot of uh, retailers out there, especially some of the more scale ones that are going to carry bottles like that. They make sure that they have something in there where they have like a small room where it'd be temperature controlled. It'll be like out of direct sunlight. The bottles will be on the side. Um, if you go into a store that doesn't have that has dust on the bottle, it's standing up. It's an old vintage. I would stay away from it. Mm. <laughs> like run away from it.
0: Good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I was watching uh cbs sunday morning not too long ago and there was a segment on something they called mega purple or purple which from what i understood was an additive that certain winemakers are putting into their wine and it seemed like if i remember correctly it was mostly the folks out in california that were doing this doug what is mega purple why do they add it to their wines and do we need it in there
3: a mega purple is basically a grape concentrate, Mike. And a lot of winemakers use it um, to fill like some of the voids and some of the flaws of the wine, but also to give it color. Most of these uh, wines that you see, the Cabernets, people want to see this dark purple color. So sometimes you can't obtain that from the vineyards. But what they do is they add this concentrate, which in a lot of people's minds that are traditionalists like myself find it very appalling, you know, in my mind, I can pick it out. I'm lucky enough that I've drank a lot of wine. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I can feel that, that substitute. And I know it's, it's almost like a diet Coke is a good way to describe it. If you drink a regular Coke and you drink a diet, you can pick that artificial sweetener right out and you know, you know, it's not Coke. Basically, In, you know, if you look at um, the wine spectator, you know, these people are appalled by it. It's basically they call it a steroid or a cheat, you know, and it's basically when a winemaker has flaws, something, you know, like vegetable or nuances that he doesn't want. They add this as a substitute and you find it in your jug wines and some of your cheaper wines.
2: I'm not going to add to Doug's explanation because he nailed it. But I I do have a wine we actually call the Purple Angel, and it comes from Montez, and it's from Chile, Conchagua, be more specific. And it's cool because, you know, you get the purple color, not just from the additive that you do for inexpensive wines that have those flaws, but you also get it from the skin and the longer you leave the skin in with the grape, you're going to get a deeper color. So I poured a glass just because I don't think I wanted to drink it, but I think I'm going to have to now that I poured it. Uh, I don't know if you can see from the screen here, but you see it's inky color. It's purple. That is just because the, the Carmenere grape that's in this, this wine here uh, is a thick skin grape and you get an intense color from it. And because they use Carmenere, which is kind of like their indigenous grape from Chile, uh, they wanted to kind of show it off. And they have these wines there called Icons. And this is one of them. You also get that out of the Shiraz grape from the Barossa Valley. And then you also get it from it's a Syrah. It's an inky color as well. So you can get this purple deep concentration color from other grape varietals. I just thought it was kind of fitting because I had it already and I had this grape and I think I'm going to have to try it. But as you can see here, the color is very deep. It's very purple. You can see the legs on the wine glass. So the legs here indicate the alcohol. So it does definitely has some alcohol to it. So this wine here would be considered a full bodied wine and it does go through some oak age. So the complexity of this wine is probably there i can tell you it is because i've had it before so i'll drink it again right now though but it's just the the nose is just you get more of that dark fruit you get black cherry blackberry cassis everything's going on you get the cedar from the oak there's so much fun in this wine here and i'm just gonna have to drink it now okay so i'll drink
0: it please do you know uh, we're we're recording this over zoom and uh Bill, they're not going to see anything, but you described everything to a T. So um, that that was absolutely just perfect. And I don't know about you, Gab, but I'm going to have to rewatch sideways sometime <laughs> in the next couple of days here. These guys got me going.
3: We were lucky enough to have this wine at my house on several occasions. <laughs> and even at John's house, like Gary's dad, we, we celebrated, you know, a couple of uh, parties. Um, and like I said, you were lucky enough to have this is a, a jammer. Um, I think we might have even had it during Super Bowl when the Eagles won. We brought we bring it out for good times. So, I mean that's a very very special wine, that's magnificent.
0: I have to ask Bill uh, since you know you described it perfectly and that you said like, would love to have some. What does a bottle of Purple Angel retail for?
2: It tells for about ninety to hundred.
0: All right, that's way out of my league. That is just.
2: <laughs> well, you know what. When you open up a bottle of that, it's a special day.
0: Yeah, boy, I'll say. So yeah.
2: You uh, you'll, you'll always have a remembrance of the wine that brought you to the table. And you're like, wow, I've had that Purple Angel before. And boom, it's there. You, it's, just, it's just a great special wine. There's a lot of special wines out there, but that's just one in particular that if you have an opportunity, you see it on the wine list and you want to have a special evening and to cap it off, I would get a bottle of that.
3: And as Bill said, I think that's what makes wine so amazing. It's the people you're with, the celebrations and the memories that you have. And, you know, being surrounded by good friends or family and something joyous happens. Um, there's, there's no better feeling in the world than spending time, you know, with, with your family or, you know, and we bring out something really nice. It's, it's just that's the beauty of wine. It's, it, we're so lucky to do what we do. And I know Bill can attest for it too. I mean, it, it's one of the best jobs in the world. And even yep. when we complain sometimes, no, we, we shouldn't, <laughs> but it is, uh, you know, and again, you're lucky enough to meet so many different people and Billy and I have met hundreds of winemakers from doing what we've done over the years. And I have 22 years in the business and I know Billy has quite a few also. It's a magnificent job. It really is. And uh, something I've, thoroughly
0: enjoy. well guys uh i don't know what time uh folks are listening to this particular podcast this week but you know what they say it's five o'clock somewhere so uh i'll okay. raise it <laughs> or <laughs>
1: doug just pointed to a sign behind him that says it's wine o'clock so i'm surprised <laughs> that the big clock behind you is not just set to five o'clock all the time
2: <laughs> it's all always- <Well>, his <laughs> clock is broke so it, it always is really <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well,
3: thank you guys so much for having us. So really appreciate it. we had a great time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Appreciate your, you uh, letting us come out here and have some fun, you know, so maybe we'll do it again sometime soon. I feel yeah. like I learned
0: so much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, they, they, you always hear there's no such things as stupid questions, but I think I asked a couple of stupid questions today, and I appreciate you, you handling them as uh, professionally as you did. I
2: really do.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks. Thanks.
1: We just finished up talking with Doug Jones from Prestige Wine Imports and Billy Bruno from Cobrands. I had a lot of fun. How about you, Chris?
0: Yeah, me too. The only thing that was missing, Gab, is a glass of wine on our parts. And, you know, it is legal to have to imbibe when you're doing a podcast. All those years at radio, I could not drink while I was working. And it's a good thing. But uh, I wish I would have thought of that ahead of time. I think maybe I'll go pop the cork on one of my $10 bottles of wine downstairs.
1: I know I'm really feeling inspired Uh now that after everything that they said that maybe I can spend a little bit more at a wine shop, maybe like $30 and not break the bank and really find something that is going to be good. Maybe just for special occasions though, because got to keep it, got to keep myself on my toes.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be looking for this purple angel, put it out there. Makes a lovely gift. Uh, It really does. Purple angel. It looked good, too. We're going to be posting some uh, some of the pictures that both Doug and Bill uh, were uh, d- describing during the podcast, so we'll do that as well, and it looked pretty good. Well, anyway, again, welcome back from California. You were just out there in wine country yourself out in Napa, uh, so it's good to have you back here on the East Coast. What was the weather like out there?
1: Well, I'm looking at you right now a little bit sunburnt. so okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it was beautiful out there. It was 70s, 80s, sunny. Um, I also have the complexion of Casper, the friendly ghost. So being outside for just a little bit of time, unfortunately, around this time of year will make me a little pink. But that's beside the point. It was gorgeous. And the wine tastings we did were great. And we had a lot of fun for our listeners. I would definitely recommend getting to a wine tasting if you can.
0: And uh, along those lines, if I could give you just two words, wear sunscreen, wear sunscreen.
1: We're getting there. I just thought I had a little bit more time before I had to do that.
0: I hear you. I know, especially the first time you're, uh, you know, exposed to the sun for any length of time after the winter, it's pretty tough. It's uh, sometimes you just forget. I I totally get that. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Thank you guys so much for checking it out. It's the Encore podcast, and we'll see if we can come up with something interesting for next week as well. Until then, have a good week.
1: Bye, everybody.